Hi listeners, just a heads up before we begin the podcast, tonight's story contains some strong language, so just so you know, some parts might not be appropriate for kids. All right, let's begin the show. to the Everlasting Stories podcast, presented by Six Semper Serpent Books in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm your host, Michael Strand, Managing Editor. In this podcast, we bring to you fantastic pulp fiction stories from the Everlasting Stories archive found at patreon.com slash Serpent. In the Everlasting Stories archive, you'll find fun, progressive shorts from science fiction and fantasy to mystery and steampunk. In other words, modern pulp fiction. If you like what you hear, you can gain access to this story and the entire written archive by becoming a patron of Six Semper Serpent at the $1 a month level. If you would like early access to future episodes of this podcast, simply sign up at the $3 a month level and you can hear the stories weeks before anyone else. Okay, that's all very well and good, but I know you're here for the stories, so let's get down to it. Tonight's entry is titled Not Alone and is the second entry in the Titan Station series. It was written by me, Michael Strand, and published in 2018 on the Everlasting Stories Archive. In the previous entry, our main character, Benjamin Scholl, awoke from hypersleep aboard a ruined and shattered space station orbiting Mars. A second person emerged from hypersleep as well, a mysterious young woman who just barely survived the reanimation process. In this entry, we'll get to know our main characters a little better, find out what their situation is on this weird space station, and get a glimpse of Mars. But I won't give anything away just yet. Just sit back, relax, enjoy, and let my voice do all of the work. All right, let's begin. This is Titan Station, Part 2, Not Alone, by Michael Strand. Sarah opened her eyes, suddenly, wide open. The darkness of the little room pressed in all around her. She felt heavy, disoriented. She tried to move, but felt needles in her arm. She extracted them. This hurt. She screamed and fell from her bunk in a heap. She tried to push herself up, but she felt as though she weighed a million pounds. Emergency lighting kept most of the room in shadow. She didn't know where she was or how she'd gotten there. She wore only scrub pants and a cotton t-shirt. She struggled to get up for a minute, but fell back exhausted, her chest heaving, her dark hair bouncing softly. I was wondering when you'd finally wake up, said a voice. Sarah peered into the darkness. A man stood a few feet away. The bunk behind him ruffled from where he'd been lying. Um, you're on Titan Station. You've been in hypersleep for an unknown period. He hurried over and picked her up around the waist, 
gently setting her back into her bunk. What happened? she asked, her voice cracked and croaking. She raised a shaking hand to rub her eyes. I have no idea. I awoke a while ago in a hypersleep pod just like you on the other side of the station. Some systems work, but most are slagged, Ben said. What's your name? She started coughing again and nodded towards the pod, where her name, Sarah Fitzgerald, glowed above the open door. No, Ben said. Do you remember who you are? She screwed up her face at this dumb question, but then had to think for a long moment before she could answer. I'm Sarah Fitzgerald, chief computer engineer. My friends call me Fitz. She sounded weak when she spoke. What's the date? Your guess is as good as mine. Considering the condition of the station and the severity of her hibernation sickness, it could have been a long time. How long? I don't know. Ballpark. Probably decades. Why were we in stasis? That is a mystery, Ben said. I can't remember much of what happened before I was put into the pod. I don't even remember much of why I'm on the station. I think I came from Earth for the Darwin Conference. But I can't honestly remember. And without the computer, I'm as clueless as you are. I'm thirsty, she said heavily. Ben handed her an aluminum carafe with some recycled water. Sarah drank it down, spilling and coughing. After a while, she seemed to feel better. Have you explored the rest of the station? Only what I could see on my way over here, and believe me, I wasn't looking too hard. There must have been some seriously fast decompression. The mess is horrible. Ben's voice trailed off. Sarah let out a low sigh. <sighs> what about Mars? Any contact? No, I can't get communications online. They're damaged irreparably. Or I can't figure out how to do it. Either way, I haven't been talking to anybody. Ben paused. Sarah stared at him with hazy eyes. I'm not much of a tech guy, Ben said, opening some ration packets and stirring freeze-dried coffee into warm water. Considering the fact that we're alone on a derelict space station, we're probably on our own, Ben said, offering the young woman some food. You hungry? Starving, she said, smiling for the first time. You feel like shit now, but you'll feel better once you eat. Go slow, though, so you don't puke. Sarah ate a few slow bites and then dug in with relish. Ben had never seen anyone enjoy rehydrated protein cubes so much. Uh, you said you were the computer guru, right? Ben asked. The dark-haired woman rolled her eyes and chomped away at her overfull mouth. She raised a finger and fought to swallow. Computer chief, she mumbled through her food. Computers and nanotech. I am, or was, the station's head computer engineer. I designed the brain that runs this place. Oh, thank God, Ben said. I can't figure out shit about this stupid station. The central computer is offline and the bridge is dark. I can help with that, she said, moving to slide off of her bunk. But her legs buckled beneath her and she spilled food across the sterile metal planking. Ben grabbed her before she fell and helped her back into the bunk. You'd better rest, he said. Good idea, she mumbled, her eyes drooping. And within moments... 
she fell asleep. number 44678395. It's fucking simple. Just plug in the jump program and reroute power to Omega Junction. Sarah's voice crackled in Ben's space helmet, causing feedback enough to rattle his brains. Ben and Sarah had been working on repairing the computer core for several days. They developed a relatively good working relationship, but long days in a cold, dark station led to frayed nerves. Ben floated in the central computer core, physically bypassing systems while Sarah directed him from the nearby technician station. Ben only had to enter the last few commands and the computer would work, theoretically. If it didn't, they were fucked. Ben forgave Sarah for being a bit crabby. I got it now, Ben said in a calming voice. It's not my fault. It's dark in here and there are about a hundred million computer terminals in this place. Plus, it's fucking creepy. I'm a little disoriented. Ben floated alone in the polyhedral room filled with soft beeps and undulating fluorescent color. No part of the room betrayed true flatness. Every surface curved into shapes akin to the folds of the human brain and stacked into recursive algorithmic ridges. Surrounding him, a galaxy of millions of interfaces, circuitry panels, Processors and coolant nodes winked with a myriad of digital eyes. Every inch of the terminal computer core looked like some kind of dark, blinking armor. The soul of Titan Station lay beneath these endless layers of silicon and quantum fiber. All of it looked the same to Ben. Look for grid C12428. It should be above the illuminated activation panel, crackled Sarah's voice. It's red. Found it. Ben said. Okay. Below it is a smaller terminal. It should be illuminated green. Do you see it? Here it is. It's dark. Shit. Sarah muttered. Ben could hear her fingers pounding away on her keyboard on the other side of the comm. Try it now. That's got it, Ben said. Now what? To the left should be interface 44678395. Do you see it? Uh, I think so. No. Do you see it? If you plug into the wrong system, you could trigger a core meltdown or open every blast shutter in the station, instantly blowing us into space. Double check. Do you understand? Yeah, okay, we want to avoid that. Ben mumbled to himself for a while as he scrutinized the panel with his wrist light before finally grunting. Yeah, I found it. Certain? I'm certain, said Ben as he plugged in a long, fiber-optic umbilical cord attached to a clear plastic chip covered in shimmering circuits and blinking diodes. The moment he inserted the cable, a spiderweb of living light radiated out from the access point. Light drops of pure energy flickered and blinked in a fabulous procession. Massive coordinated flashes of energy demarcated the reboot cycle, automatically activating. The dancing flashes of mechanical consciousness surrounded Ben's floating form in an amniotic ocean of low color. He gasped and awed at the unfolding many-dimensional lotuses of quantized digital energy. A deep humming grew in ominous volume until it rattled his guts. 
I'm into the mainframe. Sarah said, sounding hopeful for the first time in days. Working on bypassing the system. Sarah's voice trailed off into a flurry of keystrokes. Shit! The main processor is damaged. Probably the initial flash when the reactor overloaded. Trying secondary. It's shielded, so... Yes! Secondary processor is active. Checking the secondary system. No problems. Good, good, good. Wait! Fuck! What is it? The secondary computer core should be online, but it's not replying to my commands. Some of the information is degraded, Sarah said, punctuating her words with a few more hard keystrokes. Okay, bypassing. Nope, not gonna fly. Ben jumped in surprise as Sarah threw a half-eaten food cube hard against the pane of glass separating the technician station from the zero-g mainframe where he floated in blinky psychedelic darkness. The jelly cube splattered into a violet mess. What can I do? Ben asked floating in a small circle to face her through the splattered glass. I'm sorry. I just need these fucking command functions to override the degraded system code. See if you can't get power to the secondary computer core by keying in the commands manually. The interface should be on your right. I'm illuminating it now. Another panel glowed to life next to Ben. Um, okay. I see it. What do I push? Sarah didn't reply. Instead, a set of icons on the panel glowed in various colors. Tap the colors in the order I display them, okay? One by one, the keys on the panel flashed in five-number sequences. Dutifully, Ben followed the sequences, careful not to make a single mistake. When he finished the process, he heard a beep, then a longer beep. Sarah breathed a sigh of relief and kept typing. That's got it. Without warning... The computer core roared fully to life. In a flash, a hundred million billion quantum bits of processing power suddenly came online in one great rush of light, bleaching his retinas and causing him to cry out. The once dark blinking room became all at once white bright. His face panel darkened to protect his vision, but he still reeled from the sudden brilliance. What's wrong? Sarah said, sounding worried. Jeez, you could have warned me it would get so bright in here. Sorry. Are you okay? Uh, I'll be all right. And I'll be out soon. Ben floated up and popped his head out of the hatch to the now incandescent computer core. From his central location at the top of the station, he could see thousands of window lights winking on. A rattle grumbled through the metallic labyrinth of ducts and hallways and a distinct hum cascaded through the superstructure, like a heartbeat returning to a corpse. The pulsing lifeblood of power and computer intelligence returned to the shattered station. Ben made his way down, outside the core, and into the technician station to join Sarah. The computer's working, she said, not looking up as Ben removed his helmet. I have control of what's left of the station. Jeez, what the fuck happened here? She pulled up a few menus and shifted through various data reports, hammering the computer terminal with short, sharp command patterns. She shook her head. There's awful damage, though no clear cause. Could be an asteroid exploded nearby and riddled us with shrapnel. The shielding took most of it, but the damage is very extensive. The bridge is completely smashed, as is the Arboretum, Engineering, and Medical. We're on backup power for now. Looks like the computer was saved by its backup shielding in central location. The outer rings took a wallop. I think the station was 
twisted by some incredible force. Anyone not in stasis would have died in shock of impact or the initial decompression. Habitat ring fared best because it's the best shielded and has triple redundancies. She trailed off. It is conceivable there are more survivors. Conceivable, Ben said. Conceivable. Any active pods like ours, he asked. Sarah hammered away on her terminal and then grumbled again. The system is shot through with shadow signals and false indicators. The external sensor grid is totally fried, too, as are internal sensors, which are, at this point, just a loose patchwork of fuzzy cameras and faulty relays. We'll have to search the habitat ring the old-fashioned way, room to room. Uh, What's the date? How long have we been out? It's giving me a reading on the date. Mm. According to the computer's calculations... Given the current position of the planets in the solar system compared to last recorded date, how long, Ben asked. About 300 years, Sarah breathed. Ben could not get his head around it. He felt dizzy. We've been adrift for 300 years? Yes. So there's no hope of rescue? None, I'm sure. Communications? Damaged beyond repair. Ben sighed in exhaustion and resignation. Sarah continued her work on the computer. She sat strapped into the tech chair, her long dark hair a weightless cloud around her face. Her helmet floated nearby. Ben held his own in his gloved hand. Let me run the reboot cycle on Titan's native artificial intelligence. If we can get him online, we might have a fighting chance. Sarah reached into a nearby storage bay and pulled out a blue, solid-state chip, which she plugged into her terminal. She accessed the source code and brought up the main menu related to higher functions. Within moments, she smiled and pulled back her floating hair, securing it with a hair tie from her wrist. Success? Ben asked. You tell me, Terence. Just then, a hollow projector near the tech station's view window flickered to life, and a 3D holographic projection of a little human head glimmered into view. Good afternoon, Sarah. It's been a long sleep this time, hasn't it? For both of us, it seems. The tiny digital head was that of a middle-aged man with striking elfin features. He wore a head of curly salt and pepper hair and a beard streaked with gray. He wore a gentle smile, the kind only Buddhas could manage. Ben, I'd like you to meet Terence, Sarah said, gesturing to the floating head. Uh, a pleasure, Ben said, nodding slightly. Ha, a human with manners, Terence replied. Where'd you find this guy, Fitz? Sarah rolled her eyes. In a fish tank. Um, actually, I found her, Ben said. What the hell happened to the station, Terence asked. Can't you tell me? Sarah snorted. In spite of all that mortal man could do, the wild white buttress of his forehead smote the ship's starboard bow till men and timber reeled, Terence said, narrowing his playful digital eyes and quoting Moby Dick. I'm sorry, Fitz. My functioning ceased following a level four catastrophic event. Automatic protective measures necessitated my deactivation to defend my higher capacities, as well as the computer core. You did well, Terence, 
Sarah said in a comforting voice. Ben stared at the pair, who spoke as though they were a long-married couple. Quoting Moby Dick? What the hell kind of AI is this? Ben asked. Did you engineer him to look like that? What's the reasoning? Terence's eyes widened. I take back the comment about manners, he said. Terence manifested as you see him when we brought the computer core online for the first time, Sarah replied. We constructed the computer with the necessary code structures to induce a self-aware system. In other words, we built a computer that would be self-aware once we turned it on, but we didn't design that awareness. Terence constructed his personality the moment we sparked the computer core. He's an emergent property, unique as a human soul inhabiting a physical body. He chooses to manifest as he does, and I did not design him as such. Terence smiled a little smugly. When we turned on the core, he appeared as you see him and said, Hello, I'm Terence. Nice to meet you, as though he'd just handed me a cup of coffee. I'm full of surprises, Terence said gleefully through his Cheshire smile. Um, okay, Ben said slowly. Um, can you tell us why the station reactivated? Why we woke up? Unknown signal, Terence replied. That's it? Yep, the floating head said. No information as to its source or strength? It's really well encrypted, Terence said, pulling up the signal profile. I mean, whoever wrote the encryption is three centuries ahead of both of us, so it's not surprising. What is surprising is that it was specifically designed to awaken you from hypersleep. Conjecture tells me that we're not alive by accident, Ben said resolutely. A reasonable conclusion, young spaceman, Terence replied with a hint of condescension. We need a view of what's going on, Sarah said with a frustrated sense of finality. She unbuckled her gravity harness and reattached her helmet. She removed Terence's solid-state chip and placed it into her suit's central processor. Terence disappeared from his terminal and reappeared on her wrist like a tiny ghost. She floated to the door, turned and extended her hand toward Ben. Follow me. Sarah and Ben floated through the gruesome halls of the habitat ring in their spacesuits, working their way towards the main observation bay. This was the largest and most opulent room on Titan Station, and provided the best view of the Red Planet. Obviously, the room had been occupied at the time of the disaster. Frozen bodies floated in the eerie darkness, most likely the remains of couples out for an evening walk on the promenade before Mars set. Sarah and Ben made their way across the creepy, dark room to where the blast doors still covered the main observation window. Though they remained intact, little holes pocked the walls and bulkheads, indicating where white-hot debris moving at tens of thousands of kilometers per hour had filled the room before robbing it of atmosphere. Sarah addressed Terence's tiny holographic head emanating from her wrist panel. Terence... Can you open the blast doors? Open sesame, replied Terence's inappropriately jovial voice in their helmet headsets. 
The blast doors obscuring the massive panoramic windows slowly opened. Ben shielded his eyes from the raw sun as it filtered through the opening shutters. His eyes, so accustomed to the darkness of the damaged station, burned and strained in the bright sun. His face panel darkened to protect his virgin eyes from the light, and slowly they adjusted. Little could have prepared him for what he saw. There, beyond the transparent metal bulkhead, lay the gentle, curving face of Mars. A thin layer of pink atmosphere separated the red planet's surface from the coldness of space. An awe-inspiring, if familiar, view. But what wasn't usual was the massive crater below. It seemed as though someone had grabbed a god-sized fistful of Mars and simply carried it off into space. The cosmic scar must have been thousands of miles across. And around it, a dead zone of devastation clearly visible from space. The green sheen of terraforming had reverted to the rusty red of ancient Mars. Surrounding the massive scar lay a blank expanse of windswept nothingness. From orbit, they could see no evidence of the oceans and proto-forests that had covered Mars for nearly three generations. No sign of human habitation remained, just a red sphere, as dark and dead as it had been the day humanity found it. A billion people lived on Mars the day he arrived on the station for his conference. Now, no one. The station listed at a crazy angle relative to the surface. Below them, Ben could see that the massive space elevator, which once tethered the station to the surface, had been severed. Huge pieces of black cable floated beneath them in space, dark against the face of the red planet like crushed twigs in a still, rusty pond. Far below, on the dusty red surface, they could just make out where some of the tether pieces had fallen to the ground, laid out like a black river 20,000 kilometers long. Several thousand people rode the tether's space elevators every day. Ben thought in horror of what became of the riders when the tether broke a few hundred kilometers above the surface. What happened? Ben breathed. I don't know, Sarah said, choking. Even Terence muttered a quiet, Shit. He could see the planet's curve reflected in her faceplate. Behind it, tears trickled down her face. Three hundred years ago, something destroyed Mars and left us here to die alone. Ben could feel his stomach turn to stone. He fought to prevent himself from puking in his suit. We can't stay here, Sarah said with a note of true panic. We have to get off this station. That's tonight's story. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed reading and producing it. Once again, you heard Not Alone by Michael Strand, produced for Six Semper Serpent 
and published in 2018 on the Everlasting Stories Archive. On the next episode, I will be reading Exodus, which is the next entry in the Titan Station series, so stay tuned for that. If you enjoyed this story and you would like more, you can read it now and forever at the Everlasting Stories Archive found at patreon.com slash sixsemperserpent. There, you can get full access to this story and the entire archive by subscribing at the $1 a month level. And you can get access to new episodes of this podcast weeks before anyone else at the $3 a month level. The text for this story and the audio for this podcast were produced by me, Michael Strand, Managing Editor at Six Semper Serpent. The audio was mastered by Mike Lauer, Six Semper Serpent author and musician. The publisher of this podcast is T. Martin Krause, Editor-in-Chief at Six Semper Serpent. And finally, the music for this episode of the podcast is by Bay Area producer Binkadink, a.k.a. Caitlin Shepard. Search for her music at binkadink.bandcamp.com. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have been, thanks for subscribing. See you next time on the Everlasting Stories Podcast.